0: all right guys you are locked on falcons i'm your host aaron freeman and today we are talking about the falcons versus dolphins joint practice and whether or not the falcons killed the dolphins today with their aggressive pass rush you are locked on falcons your daily atlanta falcons podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. I've been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at FalcFans.com. RIP. Still going strong, however, on Twitter at FalcFans. And, of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode of Locked On Falcons is brought to you by rockauto.com, where you can find amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. Just visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. So today's episode will feature my Discussion of the sort of tidbits uh, emerging from Wednesday's joint practice between the Atlanta Falcons and Miami Dolphins down in South Florida, Um, we will be sort of not necessarily doing a comprehensive thing simply because uh, I wasn't there and, uh, you know, I just... Going to talk about the things that stood out to me. One of which, and, and sort of the big thing that stood out, was someone who was there, uh, hitting hitting me up and, and basically saying the Falcons were killing the Dolphins, and it was the worst practice of the Dolphins all year long. Very plugged in Dolphin source. And that will allow us to focus on the Falcons pass rush, which seemingly really got after uh, the Dolphins quarterbacks in this joint practice session. Then we'll sort of move the conversation, talk about some of the highlights or tidbits emerging about the offense. And that will give us an opportunity to talk about a little bit about the Falcons wide receiver debt, because maybe one of their backup wide receivers really shined today, according to one person. And then we'll sort of wrap up today's episode by continuing the conversation about the value of the preseason. You've heard me talking, the past about, you know, the lack of correlation between preseason success and failure and regular season success and failure. But you also have heard me talk about the value of playing starters in the preseason earlier this week and why I think it's still important for the Falcons um, to play at least their starters for a couple of snaps uh, this Saturday when they actually face the Dolphins uh, in a game, uh, you know, and so we'll get into that uh, on today's episode. But You know, I would admit, guys, starting things off, I would admit that I went into this week with a little bit of trepidation about these joint practices, wondering if the lack of work that the Falcons first and second teamers got last week in their preseason opener against the Tennessee Titans and contrast to the Dolphins starters at least a few of them getting a little bit of work uh last weekend against the bears would that lead to the dolphins looking a little sharper than the falcons but of course i shouldn't have worried because a a plugged in source of mine uh that covers the dolphins does the beat for them hit me up over dm during the practice saying quote you guys are killing us today lol this is our worst practice of the year so far And it seems like probably the biggest takeaway from this practice that a lot of people, not only covering the Dolphins as well as the Falcons were commenting on, was that the Falcons pass rush was really generating a lot of pressure uh, in these practices. And to be clear, there's no tackling in these practices. And thus, when you hear about quote unquote sacks, they're not real sacks. They're essentially instances where a defender is deemed to have successfully beaten the blocker. And had it been sort of a real live play, likely would have sacked the quarterback. And if you saw this past Tuesday's Hard Knocks episode, you probably know what I'm talking about in that regard, what that looks like. Um, but I did see some numbers from various people posting that, you know, the Falcons might have generated five or more sacks and, and a lot more pressure against the Dolphins starting offense. Grady Jarrett reportedly had a very strong outing. Uh, I saw reports that Dante Fowler and Steven Means really uh, got after the quarterback and registered would-be sacks. Uh, I saw reports that Ade Ogundeji was getting work with the uh, starters as well although I didn't hear any reports if he got a sack or anything like that. And we know that it's nice to hear that given this Falcons front that they were down to uh, important guys particularly on the interior with Marlon Davidson and John Kaminsky out with injury Davidson's dealing with an undisclosed injury did not uh, did travel with the team while Kaminsky did not, as he is in the concussion protocol and presumably they didn't want to let him get on a plane in order to make the trip. So he's still up in Atlanta. Um, But because the team was down two defensive tackles, they did wind up signing or re-signing Eli Anku, a wide body that did spend some time with the Falcons earlier this summer in uh, late May and early June. And the team picked him up right after rookie minicamp. He did get cut in mid June when the team brought in John Atkins. Atkins, of course was cut this past weekend in the Falcons first cut down to eight. Eighty-five Anku, uh, after the Falcons cut him back in June, was scooped up by the Bills. But he was also part of that team's first preseason cutdowns this past weekend, as you might recall from those episodes that we talked about Anku in May. Uh, I did like his film going back a couple of years, playing you know as this, this sort of journeyman run stopper, and I thought at that time that he had a pretty good chance of making the roster given the lack of depth that the Falcons had behind Tyler Davidson at that point and obviously that wasn't the case due to his release. And I doubt that the second opportunity that Anku's gonna get is going to amount to much, since he's probably just considered a body until Davidson and Kaminsky are healthy or next Tuesday's cut down to 80 players, then you might see Anku get cut. Then if not, then they might just sort of keep him through the Browns game and he'll likely be part of the final cutdowns. But I will add that the Falcons front was a little soft uh, against the run. Uh, Versus Tennessee this past week, and we talked about them needing to potentially add a little bit more beef to solidify that. And so obviously a 325 pounder like Ilianko signals at the very least that maybe the Falcons might be adding sort of a wide body run defending defensive tackle uh, to the list of their sort of short list of uh, wish list, I guess you could say, of possible options to scour the waiver wire for in two weeks when final cuts are made. So that's just something to keep an eye on. But speaking of that Titans game, you know, today's practice versus the Dolphins uh, continues what we saw uh, last Friday uh, in which the Falcons front seven seems to be the star's. Of the show, uh, as far as his defense is concerned, at least when considering the second and third stringers playing really well against Tennessee and being very disruptive and creating pressure in that preseason opener, and then you add that with today's practice, it does suggest that the starters are sort of also doing their thing. And you know, the question is going to be: Does this mean that the Falcons' front seven is legit? You know, a position that I think a lot of us, including myself, were very skeptical skeptical about uh, up till now. And you know, I'm not ready to go too far with that. I would pump the brakes a little bit. You know, you know, it's a yield sign, not necessarily a stop sign, but let's just yield a little bit there. You know, you got to factor in that Miami's offensive line is, is not particularly good. Pro Football Focus ranked them 29th earlier this month when they were doing their various positional rankings uh, and that goes back uh, to something I talked about you know on the pod last week I believe on the August 9th episode of lockdown Falcons about how the Falcons pass rush when a, a listener asked a question about you know what's the ceiling for this Falcons pass rush and I said we might get to a point where the Falcons pass rush at least on paper looks really productive you know getting 40 plus sacks uh, over the 17 game season which would be the best mark for them in like 15 years Um, but when you really look at it with a fine tooth comb it may just be them taking advantage of weaker offensive lines and I included Miami in that group along with uh, offensive lines at Carolina and the Giants where they just sort of pad some stats against some bad offensive lines who inflate their sack numbers quite a bit you know basically pulling an Adrian Claiborne against Chaz Green uh, to inflate things a little bit so I'm not saying that you know the Falcons pass rush looking good on Wednesday is meaningless but it is perhaps not a major surprise given that Miami's offensive line is very young and is a work in progress. I know their left tackle and Austin Jackson uh, has been struggling, struggled as a rookie. And at least based off of the reports today and, and the little tidbits I've been able to glean has not looked particularly good in training camp so far to see if he's made a big leap in year two. So, I'm not going to get too hyped up about the Falcons front seven in their pass rush. I do want to see how the starters fare in that dress rehearsal game against the Browns next week. Pro Football Focus ranks the Browns as the best offensive line in the league. And we know that they had a dominant run game last year. And so I want to see if we can not only get pressure on Baker Mayfield in that game, uh, presumably when the starters play that first half, as well as whether or not they can stop Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt uh, in the run game before I get too far ahead of myself and and sort of declare, Oh, this Falcons front and pass rush is going to be good this upcoming season, or at least um, be better than our current sort of lower expectations at this point in time. And in the regular season, we're going to see at least at the beginning of the year, uh, a healthy mix of both good and bad offensive lines to start the season. So, you know, there'll be weeks where there's a good litmus test and there's weeks where the, you know, front may look really good. You know, Tampa Bay is one of the best offensive lines in the league. We face them in week two, Philadelphia in week one, Washington in week five um, or week four, whenever it is, you know, those are offensive lines that when healthy have at least above average ability, if not good ability Contrast that with teams like the Giants, the Jets, and the Dolphins uh, that we're going to face early in the season. All of those lines are works in progress. So I'm going to reserve judgment a little bit until we see this group uh, go up against some more quality competition later this summer. But again, I I do think it is legitimately a promising sign that this, you know, front seven could wind up outperforming our relatively low expectations. But later in today's episode, I do want to revisit this topic to sort of see how much we can read into this type of performance as an indicator of the defense uh, being good uh, during the regular season. But we'll get into that later. And before we get there, I do, however, want to talk about some of the standout offensive players uh, from Wednesday's practice uh, in terms of offensive performance. But, you know, who's locked in on uh, offensive performance or rather locked on offensive performance. That's, of course, Vinny Iyer, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Football Podcast, because you know Vinny is giving you all the data and all the notes and all the little tidbits that are going to help you uh, win your fantasy league so that your fantasy squad never fails this season. Subscribe to the Locked On Fantasy Football Podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts that you need. Why wait while the person behind behind the counter. Orders parts on their computer when you already have a computer with access to rockauto.com at home or in your pocket. Save time and money when you use Rock Auto. You'll spend up to twice as much for the same parts when you order from a chain store or car dealership. Meanwhile, Rock Auto's prices are always reliably low for every customer. Rock Auto is a family business serving do it yourselfers for over 20 years. They have everything you need from brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Go explore their easy to use website yourself today at rockauto.com and find the solution for your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on and how did you hear about us box so that they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. So we know that the front Uh, performed well for the defense, but it did sound like the, the back seven maybe uh, was a little bit more up and down. Uh, Jalen Waddle was said to have a big game, the Dolphins rookie wide receiver. And there was uh, at least one highlight floating around on social media of him beating Darren Hall. From what I read, you know, the the Falcons had trouble covering the Dolphins tight ends like Mike Gusecki and Adam Shaheen. Both of those guys had a couple of big catches from what I understand. It did seem like the tight ends uh, did perform well in sort of teamwork on those 11, on 11 or seven on seven drills. But one does wonder sort of if those struggles in coverage for the Falcons were in one-on-ones where presumably the offensive player has a big advantage. You know, it's one of those things that you learn when you go to the senior bowl, um, and you're watching one-on-ones, uh, you know, when it comes to sort of the passing game stuff, it usually favors the wide receivers over the defensive backs. When it comes to the trench stuff, it usually favors the defensive pass rushers uh, that have the advantage over the blockers. Um, and essentially the concept is that the attacking or initiating player in those one-on-one situations generally has the advantage. So, you know, that's something that's important to keep in mind when you see some of these reports without really having the context. Are these one-on-ones? Are these more team stuff? Who's sort of getting the advantage in these regards? But sort of the buzz was that the Falcons playmakers on offense did shine when they got work. A lot of reports out there suggesting that Calvin Ridley really really shined, and especially when he was matched up with Xavier and Howard, both in one-on-ones and team stuff. There's a clip of him dusting Howard on a go route, a very clean route run crisp, you know, he showed some nice hesitation, then beat him clean with speed uh, down the sideline. And of course, you know, he would do that the day after I basically said on yesterday's episode that I would, uh, I don't necessarily love Ridley as a pure deep threat. So just exhibit cue on, on why I think they do play the lockdown Falcons podcast at flowery branch during the day. Uh, So Ridley had to prove me wrong in that one. Um, From what I heard, Kyle Pitts also had some moments, but it sounded like his matchup uh, between him and Dolphin safety, Eric Rowe, went kind of back and forth. And and Rowe certainly, uh, you know, won some reps there. Um, You might recall Rowe as a sort of a big athletic corner that uh, has now moved to safety in Miami. He did play both corner and safety at Utah in college, and he was also tasked with covering Julio Jones in the Super Bowl when he was with the Patriots. And, of course, he had safety help. Pretty much every play from players like a Daron Harmon now with the Falcons, and so that's kind of a matchup where you would kind of expect Rowe to kind of specialize in as a sort of tight end eraser in that Dolphins defense. And it is nice to hear at least, even if Roe had some positive reps, that Pitts definitely gave him all that he could handle. But one of the surprises from the offensive side of the ball in terms of one of the players that stood out was Christian Blake, who, according to Adam Beasley of Pro Football Network, shined while working against guys like Howard and Byron Jones. And we talked about in the past when discussing the Falcons pass rush, you know, the Dolphins are one of those teams like the Ravens that are in the running for having arguably the best pair of corners in the NFL, or at least in the running behind the Ravens. I think most people agree the Ravens have the best, but the Dolphins are certainly front runners for that number two spot uh, with Howard and Jones. And, and then that's a little surprising given how underwhelmed I was watching Blake's performance against the Titans. We talked about one of the issues that the Falcons had in the struggles the offense had when especially when McCarron was in the game, but also when Franks was in the game that the wide receivers were not doing a great job separating in coverage. And basically the only one that was really doing good work with those early uh, reps in the game was Tajay Sharp. But, you know, Sharp started a game and Christian Blake started a the game. They were the two quote unquote, starting receivers in that Tennessee game. And, you know, Blake finished with one target. I didn't think was that impressive. You know, that one target was a time where, AJ McCarron missed him throwing it a little bit behind him. Although I'm sure if AJ McCarron would tell you, you know, he would argue that he was throwing it behind Blake to try to sit him down in a soft spot in his zone and try to throw him away from the defender. Um, but, you know, Blake is an interesting player because right now, if there was a game tomorrow, I would suspect, you know, he could be possibly a challenger for that wide receiver four spot that I'm Penciling in Tajay Sharpin just because he's coming off a pretty solid game. He was basically the only guy that was decent on offense on Friday um, against the Titans. But I would probably put Blake right now at wide receiver five. Now, we know Frank Darby is probably going to make the team. You know, I, I think he's ninety nine point nine percent lock to stick on the roster. But I would certainly think Blake right now is ahead of him on the depth chart. And, you know, it's really a conversation of whether or not the Falcons decide to keep six wide receivers uh, in order to make room for Blake, just because I think he's uh, it's trending that way, Uh, especially after hearing this report today that, you know, maybe Christian Blake is, is doing some things that really stand out. And, you know, that's interesting because my general opinion of Christian Blake is that there's nothing really that does stand out about his game. I think he's a decent all around player, but, He isn't necessarily good at a lot of things. It's just kind of average to competent at a lot of things, you know, Um, and given, you know, the question marks that uh, some may have. And I think that's a nice way that I'm putting it, calling it question marks, because I just kind of consider it to be a lack of talent uh, that the Falcons have at the wide receiver position. But I'm trying to be positive today. I'm trying real hard, Ringo. Um, But, you know, I I think the Falcons concerns, let's say they have the wide receiver position, you know, I I do think even though Blake may not stand out as an individual relative to the other players that the Falcons have at the wide receiver position, maybe he's good enough to stand out relative to that group. So we'll sort of see if, if Blake can continue to showcase uh, what was at least reported on Wednesday's practice on Saturday, when we get to the game and sort of build off of that. And uh, we'll just kind of leave it there in terms of the individual highlights uh, from Wednesday's practice. And I certainly want to revisit and we'll obviously get into more of that on tomorrow's episode, but to fill out the rest of today's episode, I want to revisit a topic that I've discussed a couple of times on the podcast previously in terms of the value of preseason games in light of a p- positive performance like this in practice, because I think at face value, you know, I'm sure some people are looking at some of those previously expects, expressed opinions about the preseason and not correlating to regular season success kind of conflicts with my belief that I think we should see the starters play on Saturday in the upcoming Falcons Dolphins game. But uh, speaking of games, there are ongoing games on the uh, major league baseball. Of course it's all in full swing. And of course you can check out a daily podcast devoted to your favorite major league baseball team on the MLB side of the lockdown podcast network, including the Atlanta Braves. Check out the lockdown Braves podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. BetOnline gives you the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs. And there's no time like now to get started at BetOnline. College and pro football are just around the corner. You got NBA Summer League and, of course, baseball season is in full swing. You can track all the action at BetOnline. Get real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Do you think Arthur Smith is going to win Coach of the Year? Matt Ryan, MVP. Kyle Pitts, Offensive Rookie of the Year. You can bet on all that. You can even bet on the over-unders on how many yards and touchdowns you'll see from Falcons like Ryan Pitts, Calvin Ridley, Mike Davis, and Russell Gage. To get in on that action, just head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today at betonline.ag. Use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So continuing the conversation a little bit from what we talked about earlier in uh, today's episode, talking about the Falcons rush dominating uh, the Dolphins offensive line, at least according to some reports, uh, and sort of how much we should read into that. You know, I know from some of you, you know, you've heard me talk about these things over the last week or so on the podcast, and you're wondering if there's some sort of conflicting things that I've said right and i said right before the titans game um that you can't necessarily correlate preseason success or failure to regular season success for failure. Um, And that's one of the reasons why I'm not reading too much into the Falcons practice pass rush, you know, kicking tail in today's practice. But then you probably heard me on Tuesday go on a rant about how I think it's important for the Falcons players to play and get reps in the Miami Dolphins game later this week. Uh, And so you may look at that and say, okay, there's two conflicting messages, you know, which is it, Aaron? You know, does the preseason matter or not? And it's kind of a yes and no. Um, but I, for me, at least there's a little bit of nuance in trying to distinguish when it does matter a little bit and when it doesn't matter uh, all that much. And, and again, I want to reiterate that I don't think you can correlate preseason success and failure to regular season success and fail. And the, and the example I used in the past is oftentimes you'll see people look at how the starting offense performs. You know, let's say they play two uh, series this Saturday against Miami, and if they come out and score touchdowns on both of those, you know, people will get excited, but that doesn't necessarily mean, oh, the Falcons offense is going to be firing on all cylinders during the regular season, nor if they struggle and like turn the ball over twice on those two series, does it mean that they're going to struggle in the regular season? So as it applies today, that's why I'm kind of reluctant to read too much into the Falcons pass rush dominating. Um, however, I do think you can correlate individual success in the preseason when evaluating a play Player on what he can wind up doing for you in the regular season. And basically the idea is if you can see a player doing X during the preseason at a high level, then you can assume that he should be able to do X, whatever that X is during the regular season. And one example I might use for that is look at a player like Javion Hawkins. Falcons backup running back. Uh, and you heard me talk about with Hawkins leading into the training camp. Um, you know, there aren't many examples of sub 190 pound running backs and Hawkins is 183 pounds uh, finding success in the NFL. And it's not because s- smaller running backs lack the skill uh, and, and certainly the ability as a runner uh, to be successful in the NFL. I think the reason mainly is because of uh, questionable abilities and pass protection. And I've said many times over the years, on this podcast that kind of running skill is, you know, for the vast majority of NFL running backs is kind of a dime a dozen. You know, there's really no shortage of big backs and speed backs and all the backs in between that can provide value as runners. But, you know, in terms of being a two down player, if you're not going to contribute on third downs, unless you're of the caliber of say a Derrick Henry or Adrian Peterson or Nick Chubb guys that, you know, some people would categorize as primarily two down running backs, Uh, Throughout these last couple of years, you know, if you're not on that level as a a skillful runner, um, you know, oftentimes your ability to stick long term in this league is going to come down to whether or not a team trusts you to be able to protect their $30 million investment that's lining up next to you in the backfield. And when you're 183 pounds like Tavian Hawkins, you know, when you're asked to square up a a 240 pound linebacker running full speed while you're standing still in the hole, you know, that can be a very big problem for you. And on Friday's uh, preseason game against Tennessee, we kind of saw that be a little bit of an issue for Hawkins, uh, given his limited opportunities in pass protection. You know, when he was asked to do that, he didn't particularly perform in a high level in that regard. And so when we're evaluating him as an individual player, you wonder If Hawkins is asked to play during the regular season, can he do X? And in this case, X means protect the quarterback. The answer is probably not. And so I think that's where it correlates. For an individual, if you can't block Titans second and third string, you know, blitzing linebackers in the preseason, why should I expect you to be able to handle Devin White and Demario Davis when we get to the regular season? So I think there's a key distinction, you know, in terms of evaluating and projecting and correlating success and failure when we're talking about a unit, which I don't think you can do to. Versus an individual when I do think you can do that, you know, and when we're talking about that individual, we're really talking about a skill set, not necessarily, say, a a guy's production in the preseason. And it's really about basically the you know, the coach is asking the player when they're evaluating player. Can you do the thing that we're going to ask you to do later this season? Now you're probably wondering, okay, then what did you mean when I talked about the importance of the starters getting some work during the preseason ahead of time? Right before that uh, dress rehearsal game next week against the Browns? Now we're looking at an individual like Matt Ryan. We're not worried about Matt Ryan's skill set. So you're wondering what's the big deal, Aaron, you know, and I think I can illustrate this with another example of why I think it's important for even starters to get a little bit of run in the preseason. Um, And let's look at another player on defense that we know is very good in Grady Jarrett. We're not worried about what Grady can and can't do during the regular season. So we know that he can do a lot and what he can't do is very little. However, let's say on Saturday versus Miami, When Grady Jarrett is lined up in a three technique, you know, to the outside shoulder of a Dolphins guard and it's expected on that individual play, if it's a run, to man the B gap, right? That's the B, that's the gap between the guard and the tackle. But Grady is looking at the formation, you know, doing his film study and being like, okay, like I've seen this happen with the Dolphins. This is a run play. They're going to run it up the middle, right? And I know this guard in front of me is, you know, non-athletic I've been kicking his tail in practice all week long. I can just, you know, do a nice little um, swim move, cross his face and go backdoor on this run, shoot that through that A gap, the gap between the guard and the center and make the play in the backfield. But the way that the play is drawn up, the Falcons formation is drawn up. The a gap is where Foyer you. Olakun is lined up and that's supposed to be his gap. And so if Grady shoots the a gap, you're going to have two defenders in one gap and, and zero defenders in another gap. And that's going to make the defense vulnerable. Well, sometimes when you ask linebackers, when they're reading plays, not to just focus on what the running backs in the backfield are doing, but also to know what the players in front of them in terms of the Falcons defensive linemen are doing they their task to quote unquote, make the lineman right. Meaning that if Foyer recognizes that, okay, Grady's shooting the a gap, my job is to make that adjustment on the fly and then pick up the slack in the B gap. So, Let's say in the game, the ball is snapped. Grady shoots his gap. Foyer recognizes it, makes him right by adjusting to fill that B gap, takes on the guard that's climbing to the second level because he whiffed on his initial block on Grady Jarrett off of that swim move. Grady gets that penetration, um, shoots that A gap, and makes the tackle in the back plate. So when Grady go back, when Grady goes back and watches the film during the week, you know he sees, okay, Foyer did, he made me right. Right. And he knows that in the future, I can be aggressive in those situations because Foyer has my back. But let's say Grady does that, shoots the gap, doesn't make the tackle for loss. Foyer doesn't recognize it. And thus the runner has a clear lane to to bust it up the middle through that B gap for like a 10 yard gain before, you know, Deron Harmon or Eric Harris tackles him down the field. Or even in a situation where Foyer does recognize it, that climbing guard still, you know, climbs to the second level and just pancakes him and you still get a big gain, right? He just is not capable of taking on that three hundred. 15 pound guard or whoever it is. And so when Grady's watching the film there, he's saying, oh, okay, maybe I can't be as aggressive as I want to be. Maybe I need to be a little bit more disciplined because in that instance, Foyer doesn't have my back. And again, that's one specific example and you can find an infinite number of others that you could use. But these are the things that you kind of have to figure out playing games and it's valuable to figure these things out in the game that you're not necessarily going to always be able to figure out in practice right and I think these are the things that tend to be valuable for players is it's not only a teaching point for coaches but it's also a learning experience for individual players and you know I just don't think you can simulate that stuff as effectively purely through practice that you can you know in a live game environment even if that's a game that doesn't necessarily count in terms of wins and losses and even when you're in a situation like you presume Grady Jaron for you you're only doing that for you know two series for 12 plays or something like that so again And that's why I think it's valuable for even starters to get these reps uh, in these preseason games. Even if it's a situation like Grady Jarrett, where you're not going to really learn anything new about him, but you can help build that cohesion between your teammates. And that does potentially pay off during the regular season, because you're going to be able to say like, I can do this. He can do this. We all can do this together as opposed to, Oh no, we can't do, you know, those types of things. So that's why I'm hopeful that even despite from, you know, many accounts that the Falcons had a very strong start to the, week with this joint practice on Wednesday, you know, that we'll still get a glimpse of some of what these guys can do on Saturday. I know Arthur Smith earlier in the week basically said, we'll evaluate it. How these guys perform? If they have a good week, you know, sort of implying that I won't feel as compelled to play them in the game on Saturday. If they have a bad week, I'll feel more inclined to play them. We'll sort of see how, and he'll tell us that, you know, Thursday night after the second practice tomorrow. So we'll certainly get into, you know, it on tomorrow's episode, talk about whether or not if the dolphins bounce back and have a better day. uh, you know, and, and certainly talk about whether that's going to lead Arthur Smith uh, to. Uh you know, want to make that decision. Hopefully he'll announce it publicly, uh, you know, on the fly at his post-practice press conference, or will the Falcons continue to dominate? Uh, and of course, you know, we'll be along for the ride to give you whatever reports and scoops I can find out. And hopefully, you know, my plugged in source will be able to give me, you know, another low down tidbit for tomorrow's practice. So, and of course, part of me wants to, you know, you know, put a little money down on whether or not the Falcons will have a, a second good day in a row or the dolphins will, will bounce back. But, you know, I don't know if that's a, great bet, but you know who can tell me what is a great bet? That is, of course, handicapping expert Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports, who joins host your boy Q every day on the Locked on Bets podcast presented by betonline.ag. Lee's Daily picks, wrong team favorite, and of course, his lock of the day by subscribing to the Locked on Beds podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. So, guys, if you have any feedback that you do want to provide me on anything I've discussed on today's episode, previous episodes or future episodes, of course, you can hit me up on Twitter at Lockdown on Falcons, on Facebook at Lockdown Falcons, or you can send an email to LockdownFalcons@mail.com. Falcons at Mail.com. Appreciate it, guys. Till then.